some days I get up here and it's one of those days that uh, you have a little talent envy. That was pretty good. Thank you. Uh, as you are uh, taking out your Bibles and your core guides, I invite you, if you have your core guide, flip it over to the back. There's the, the schedule that's coming up uh, for Advent and, and our Christmas. And uh, I know Ken mentioned it in the video, but next Sunday is really going to be a treat uh, with our kids singing and baptisms and baby dedications and uh, if you still want to get in on either of those, you can certainly let me know, and, and we'll make that happen, a special time of the year. Uh, the other thing that um, is a slight change for next week, uh, as we've been traveling through our series on the hopes and fears of all the years, we had, we had scheduled to talk about one of our greatest fears uh, next Sunday, is the fear of failure. And, but we also have the opportunity to be treated to a, a pretty good drama I hear. I haven't seen it yet, but um, some of our folk spent a long time getting a drama ready for our ladies' tea, and I guess it was just awesome. And uh, so we asked them if they would be willing to share that with us um, next week, and they said yes. So um, you don't want to miss that. It's going to be fantastic, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So it's just going to be a a uh, great morning to celebrate family life together. So put that one on your calendar. So that's my only addition to the announcements. Uh, we are working our way, like I said, through this Advent series, the hopes and fears of all the years. And, and I mentioned earlier, uh, when we get to the third week of Advent, um, traditionally Advent texts, they don't seem like they have any connection to Christmas until you get really close to Christmas, and, and then the baby Jesus happens, and then you get the Christmas stories like we know of in uh, Matthew and the, the shepherds and the wise men, and, and, and we read those stories on Christmas Eve and, and the couple weeks after. Um, the, the texts traditionally assigned to these weeks of Advent, they're kind of ominous. One of them is about John the Baptist when he would come and preach out there in the wilderness and getting people to repent. Um, it's oftentimes you get texts about the end times and, you know, what, what does life look like on the other side. And, and uh, Advent is designed as a time of waiting, as a time of preparing our hearts and making room so that when the baby Jesus arrives, there's a place for him to arrive in, in our heart and in our life. And so after you've gone through a couple weeks of, you know, maybe feeling like, wow, I wasn't expecting that during the Christmas season, that's all supposed to be about things that are merry and bright and happy. Um, and you come to church and you get texts that are maybe more heavy and cause you to do some soul searching. You get to week three in Advent and it's all... Uh, there's like this little momentary pause in its joy and uh, a lighter, more vibrant, upbeat tone. And we've tried to design this morning's service so that we, we get that tone flowing, and it's a good reminder that there is incredible, there is an incredible amount of hope and joy that we find in the Lord. And the, the connection that this has with our series is, is that there's some things in our life that steal your joy, right? You ever had your joy just stolen, you're having a great day, and then all of a sudden something happens? It, it's just part of life. It's part of human existence that, that once in a while our, our joy just seems to be taken from us. And our fears our anxieties, our worries, the pressures of life, the pressures of this world, um, they kind of just pound us down and, and oftentimes just take our joy right away. And I, I want to talk about something today that everyone deals with. Nobody, nobody is immune to it. Uh, at some point in your life, Somebody's going to tell you no. 
at some point in your life, you're going to feel a sense of rejection. At some point in your life, there will be a time where you just feel alone or lonely. It's part of human existence. And, and so we all, every, every single one of us, to at least some degree, will, will experience this. At the core of the core of rejection is this, um, it's the message that's sent to us that, hey, you know what? You don't really measure up. Um, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for me. You're not going to amount to much. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. What, whatever enough is out there, when you are rejected or pushed back upon, uh, you're told, the message is, well, you don't measure up in this particular category. And the word rejection literally means to, um, to, to throw back or to cast off as unworthy or unwanted or worthless. Um, so imagine you are, you're going one way and uh, somebody just brings you to a halt and pushes you a different direction. That's kind of the, what rejection uh, is. It makes, you, it makes you feel like a loser. It makes you feel like an outcast. It gives you the message that you're, you know, you're just unwanted. You're inferior. You're, you're not worth loving. That's sometimes the message that we hear when we are rejected. So think, think back for a moment. Some of you have to go way back. Uh, do you remember the first time that you had that you felt rejected? You just think it there for a second, roll it over in your mind. Do you, do you remember early times or the first time that that you felt rejected? Maybe, maybe you didn't make the team. Maybe. Um, Maybe you weren't selected for the thing that you were really hoping for. Maybe, maybe it goes back further. Do you, you ever, any of you ever remember sitting in grade school, maybe, I don't know, when it starts first or second grade, and, you know, you, you send these little notes to each other, do you like me? And then you write yes or no, and, and then you have one of your friends go take it to that cute little girl across the room, and, and, you, and you kind of stand over here, and I wonder what she's going to say. And that note comes back, and she writes, maybe. <laughs> you ever remember that? I'm not the only one. I know it. What, what happens when it says no? Ouch, right? You, you remember the first time that you were dumped? Man, that twists your, that does a work on your heart, doesn't it? That young love and, oh, it hurts. Sometimes it's more serious than young love, right? Maybe your parents pushed you away or didn't have much time for you. Maybe you felt in the household that you grew up in that, man, I don't, I'm not even sure if my parents care about me. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's losing a job. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways that we are cast off. And I think we've all faced, at least to some degree, some of this rejection. We've been told no. If you're in the sales industry, you've been told no a lot. Cold calling, no, no, no. If you're a good salesperson, you hear it as not yet, not yet, not yet. And you just keep going back for more. But for some people, they just can't take that kind of reje rejection. And so they have to find another industry or they bounce from, from job to job. And rejection just has this way of working on us. Uh, sometimes it causes us to, to, repeat, to retreat. It hurts. Now, a few weeks ago, we took that survey and the survey says that uh, 31% of the people in this room worry about rejection. 31%. 30% of us worry about being judged and excluded from things. 
28% of us worry about being left alone. And, and rejection and aloneness, are they really go hand in hand. And so if you take those three categories collectively and you kind of uh, do a composite score, um, I think if I did my math right that, that the fear of rejection and being alone is tied for second for us. I read over and over in what you wrote about the fears that we share of, of losing loved ones. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a grandparent. Um, I read about us not wanting to, to be left alone, to, to go through and to face life by ourselves. I, I read about the fear of, of judgment. I read about thoughts of not being good enough. I read about being rejected socially or kind of just cast off to the side. Or I, I read about the fear of, of losing employment and, and not being able to hold down a job or, or losing the one we have. I read about people not wanting to be single. I read about all of these things and, and so much more. It's one of the big categories for us. And, and some, for some of us, some, some rejection causes us to, to retreat, to, to take a step back, to, to give up, to stop trying. It's, we get this thought in our mind, it's, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. I'm not going to risk myself any longer. I've been hurt uh, so much in the past, that, that past rejection just hangs with me that it keeps us from allowing ourselves to get close to people. And so we sometimes keep ourselves out on the margins. Rejection and feelings of loneliness, they are they're intertwined. Lo- loneliness in our society has it's really reached epidemic proportions. I mean, even with all of the technology that we have, to communicate with one another, the ability to pick up a phone, to log into some sort of device with a little camera, and you can FaceTime, and, and, and you, can, you can Skype people, and have these video chats, and you can text message, and you can email, and you can do all sorts of, you have this whole social media industry was designed so that we could be closer to one another, that we could uh, have more contact with one another. And, and in some ways, that, that's, that's really help, healthy, but in, in many ways, it's creating us the more distance between us because we will interact with, with uh, our computer or our phone uh, and more so than face-to-face conversation. I mean, it... Do a social experiment sometime. Next time you go out for a meal, just pause. Well, one, put your, put your devices away and just give your, 100% of your attention to the person you're with. Do that first. Second, as a social experiment with each other, uh, just look around the place where you are and see how many people in the restaurant are communicating more with their device than they are with the person that they're with. So in many ways, what has been developed, or the reasoning behind what has been developed is to connect us, is driving us apart. Loneliness has has never been more of an issue in our society than than it is today. So what do we do when, when we've been hurt by rejection? What do we do when we feel alone? Well, when I feel alone, when I feel rejected, I feel empty inside. There's this hole. And I think what we do when we get to this place, or many of us do, uh, is we try and fill the emptiness. We try and fill the void that's left by that rejection with stuff. Maybe it's, um, 
food, binge, overeat. Maybe it's shopping. It's really easy to shop online now, you know? Maybe it's going out to the mall. I, I don't know what your poison is there. Maybe it's, um, maybe for some it's you sink into video games. Maybe for some it is um, Netflix, getting lost in some TV show or videos or something like that. Sometimes our emotional response it causes us to lash out at other people. Um, maybe we are a yeller and we just scream at people and, hey, you know what, you're going to pay for my hurt. Maybe it's putting your fist through some drywall. Sometimes maybe we find ourselves dwelling on ways that we could retaliate or get back. Maybe we spend longer hours at the office, get distracted by other things that we think are important. Maybe it's pouting, maybe it's whining, maybe it's sulking around, maybe it's going out and getting wasted, maybe it's going out and finding love and acceptance in the arms of another person. I, there's so many different ways that we have as humans to fill the void and the emptiness in, that we feel. That's what happens when when we have this overwhelming, overpowering sense of rejection and, and being alone. So, I think that at the core, underneath rejection and aloneness, I think these fears suggest that we really don't want to face life by ourselves. Um, the thought about being alone in this world, whether it's by outright rejection or by the changing of relationships or another circumstance, I think that's, that's what we're getting at. That's what scares us. And this, um, this season, Advent, Christmas, as we come around again as we approach Easter, the holiday seasons are particularly challenging for people who feel rejected and alone. Uh, it's a time of year where we are encouraged, or what seems like the right thing to do is to be around people, lots of people, having parties and decking the halls and fa la 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 lying and having cocoa and Christmas caroling and all of these other sorts of things that all have a sense of community built into them. We're supposed to be around people. That's the messaging that we get, and that becomes very difficult for for some folk who are already struggling with, well, I, I just feel alone. I, I, want, I want to tell you about a, a gal that, that I met this week. Um, she had fears of all sorts. You name it as a fear, she probably would have put it on her list. She had this sense that she was alone in this world. Nobody, nobody could understand her plight. Her, her fears and her anxieties were piled up so high around her, she couldn't see over the edge. And, and the higher those things stack around us, the darker that it seems in our life. And, the, and our hope just seems to fade away and, and disappear. And, you know, she was kind of suffocating in all of these fears and in her situation, and she was afraid, and, and uh, she just didn't have any more hope. She showed up here. She saw that there were lights on. And she came in. And she came in because she wanted prayer. Because her plan was, after coming here for prayer, she was going to go end her life. That's fear piling up around you. That's feeling alone, like nobody else gets it. 
she, she came in here to pray for forgiveness. What she didn't count on, what she didn't expect, was people from this church who would interact with her. She didn't count on God showing up through you. Between myself and Pastor Ken and Pastor Trent and a lady on the suicide hotline and Tracy down at the Twin City Women's Mission, she, she didn't count on God showing up through those people. I was talking with her right, right outside those doors back there. And she's just sharing the burdens that she had. And I said, can I, can I show you something? And she said, okay. So I, I, we came in here, and I turned the lights on back there, and, and we walked right down this aisle here, and we walked right up here, and, and we stood right here. And I said, you see, you see this wall? It's, it's not really usual decor for a church, but I, I just really thought that maybe this would mean something to you. And, and I, started, I started reading some of these, being left alone, judgment, being liked by my father, failure, I'm not good enough. I, I just started reading some of those. And um, she starts crying. Her tears are just streaming down her face. I said, do, you, do any of those things look familiar to you? She said, yeah, all of them. All of them. I said, do you, do you know who wrote those up there? No. I said, it's the people who go to this church. People who come and worship in this place. One Sunday morning, I, I asked them to write things that they feared up on the wall. It blew her mind that these would be things that we struggle with. And I said, you're not, you're not alone. I, I know you're hurting really badly right now. And it feels like nobody else understands. But the people who come and, and worship God are, are the ones who wrote these things. And we come into this place, and yes, it's hard to look at them, but, but at the core of what we believe is that Jesus saves us from all of them. And that as a follower of Christ, I, I believe that that cross means something. You're not alone. I, I wish that I had... Uh, I, I wish I knew how her story would play out, how it would finish. I, I don't have a good ending for you. Um, we took her from here over to the hospital, and we checked her in there, and um, she checked out the next morning. She had left her car in the parking lot here, and, and she came back, said she was, she was still having a hard time, but she had found a friend that she could stay with up north somewhere, and so I gave her some gas money, and, and, and she left. Would, would you pray for her? You don't need a name. But you, God knows who you're talking about. You're part of her story now. She, she walked through an open door at a church looking for prayer and forgiveness. And you got to introduce her to God. You got to be God showing up in her life at the right moment somebody who was suffering from feeling rejected and being alone. You got to be part of that word hope that's erased out of all of these fears. 
Jesus was one who knew rejection. Jesus was one who knew what it felt like to be alone. If you have your Bibles, I, just, I want to read a couple verses in, in Isaiah. Chapter 53. This is a prophecy that Isaiah makes of the Messiah, who we believe Jesus is God's Messiah for the people. And this is Isaiah's prophecy. He grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised. He was avoided by others. He was a man who suffered. He knew sickness well, like someone from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we didn't think about him. It was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought him afflicted, struck down by God, and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds, we are healed." That's the prophecy of the Messiah, and if you flip over in, in your Bibles to the New Testament, uh, to Luke chapter 2, I think it's somewhere about verse 33, Jesus has been born, and His parents, Mary and Joseph, have Him in the temple, and, and they, they, uh, they meet this man named Simeon, and um, Simeon has been waiting to see the promise of God come to fruition. And he sees Jesus, and he speaks these words to, to mom and dad. Simeon blessed them, said to Mary's mother, this boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your inner, innermost being as well. When it talks here about this boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many, and then we get this phrase, and to be a sign that generates opposition. You, you might say that this would be somebody who's misunderstood, who's cast aside, um, who is rejected. And then Simeon finishes by saying that, but this rejection will force honesty in many people. So Jesus was this person who was cast aside and then rejected. You know, had Jesus centered his life on what people did to him, he wouldn't have been able to survive. The Pharisees, the religious leaders rejected him. One of his own, Judas, betrayed him. The government wrote him off and handed him over to be crucified. He was ultimately rejected by every power known to humans. I mean, even his closest friends, his disciples, ran away in fear and, and left him alone. Even Peter, even Peter, who had once said, Lord, I would go with you to the end, to the very end, to the death, if I have to, ran away, gone. Everyone, gone. He went to the cross alone. And when he was hanging on the cross, I think there's this overwhelming sense, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's this Jesus, this Son of God, Jesus, who offers to every single one of us, to every single person, he offers a deep and rich and vibrant relationship. He gives to everyone forgiveness and acceptance, and He gives us the truth. He gives us a 
a way to live. Jesus is life. Jesus is community for us. See, the trouble that many of us have is that we sell out to becoming what others expect of us. And when we face challenges, uh, or when it comes down to a decision, we turn, we turn and we ask people, well, what do you expect me to do? Or, you know, we say, hey, what should I do? Sometimes that's looking for wisdom, and, and that's good. We should communicate with one another, bounce ideas off of another, one another. But sometimes we do it in an unhealthy way because we're trying to gauge what people's expectations are. And if we have any people-pleasing nature in us at all, we care about what other people think, and so sometimes our decisions are based not on what we really feel we should do at heart, but what we think somebody else would want us to do. And I think that gets us in trouble once in a while. Um, we develop this hypersensitivity to what people say about us, this hypersensitivity to what we think people want us to do. And what happens when we start doing that is that our being, our, our very being, our understanding of ourselves begins to be rooted in somebody else's expectations. Um, in, in a way, then, that's a little philosophical. In a way, then, um, we become strangers to ourselves because we're, we're trying to please other people, and so therefore, you know, we leave ourselves empty and hollow, and like our opinion, our thoughts don't mean as much. And so what we try and live out is not necessarily natural to us, and it feels awkward sometimes at best. So if our lives are constantly based on what we believe other people expect of us, we end up acting like mirrors, and we're simply reflecting back what we think we're supposed to reflect back. And, and something happens. We, we slowly lose this understanding of, of who we are, and instead we are looking to others to determine our own Understanding ourselves, our own value, our, our own self-worth is now based on what other people think. And when that happens, we lose our identity because we're basing it on a reflection. And when we start doing that, that's when we're at risk of succumbing to the fear of feeling rejected because we'd never know how we're going to do in, in measuring up. Proverbs 29 25, you can jot that one down. It says that people are trapped by their fears of others, <clears throat> but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. Living in fear that others will reject you is a snare. That's the kind of fear that, that um, the proverb is talking about here. It's not being afraid necessarily of other people. What it's getting at is we're afraid of what other people think of us and letting them down. And so when we start living in that fear, uh, that becomes a, a trap, a snare for us. If you, if you fear rejection, you, you may try really, really hard um, to be accepted. If you're afraid of what people might think of you, you may find yourself caving in. You might know what is the right thing to do, but if you don't think that's what other people want you to do, then, then you're going to cave in and meet their expectation. It's called peer pressure. It's the fear of rejection. So when we locate our center in, in God, we'll find a place of safety. Um, we'll find a place of comfort. We'll find a place of, of peace, a place that is much more natural to us. If you look at the life of Jesus, while He was rejected, and he was despised, and he did feel alone at, at times. He did not fear rejection. He did not fear being alone. In fact, the Gospels, the Gospels paint the picture of Jesus constantly going out to commune with God the Father, going away to pray and, and spend time alone with God. But his, he, he wasn't trying to meet the expectations of his disciples. Jesus didn't live in fear to a degree that he 
um, tried to live up to the expectations of what people thought Messiah was supposed to be. He didn't try to live up to what the religious leaders wanted him to be, or the government, or any host of other people. He didn't live for the approval of human beings. His self-understanding did not originate with the people around him, but with his heavenly Father. See, only God can tell you who you are, truly. If we give that power, the power of somebody else telling us who we are, if we give that power to the people around us, we'll never, never know who we really are. And in a noisy world, it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some focus to place ourselves before the throne of God and be patient enough to listen and to hear what He has to say and to believe Him. Only God can truly tell you who you are. There's all sorts of ways that we can go with a fear like this one. Um, and, and what I thought that might be helpful is to talk about three lies that we believe when we feel rejected and alone. Um, the first one, the first lie I think that some people start to believe when they feel rejected and alone, and alone is that we truly are alone. The lie is that we are alone. And while loneliness, it does strip away comfort, um, it might strip away that sense of community once in a while that, that is around us, uh, the truth is we're never truly alone, ever. And admitting that you're lonely, admitting loneliness is, it's not a negative confession. It's an honest one. And it's sometimes a humbling expression that, that we need to do that talks about our hurts and it talks about our need for other humans. We're all created as social beings, and, and we have these deep longings for the love and presence of, of, of other people. We are, we are created in God's image, and part of being created in God's image means that we are created in community. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity that, that we talk about is a, is a community. God exists in community, and if we are made in His image, then, then we have that deep longing and need to be in community as well. And sometimes when we struggle with rejection and feeling like we're alone, we start to believe that we're alone, but, but if we step into our Creator and, and just take our place kneeling there uh, at the stable, uh, we'll hear God say, I will never leave you or forsake you. You'll never be alone. When you experience times of disconnection from other people, can I challenge you to use those times to experience God's presence, to experience God's provision for you? Take the opportunity to, to pray, to listen for the Word of the Lord, to sink into God's grace, to, to open His Word and just read it and think on it. To seek hope-filled and, and life-giving oneness with your God and your Creator. When you feel rejected, when you feel lonely and alone, let that drive you towards God. James, he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. As you take steps towards God, He's already there reaching out for you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. True and lasting comfort and presence uh, can be found in this person of Jesus. 
The second lie that I think that we believe is that nobody else understands what we're going through. And it's an easy one to believe, but it's not true at all. It's, um, it's really easy to slip into this place because our feelings and our burdens are very specific to us. I mean, we have very personal issues, and so we, ima- we start imagining, well, nobody else feels exactly like I do or has experienced the exact same things I have, and so it's, sometimes it's really hard to imagine that anyone could truly understand what we're, what we're facing. Um, part of the problem, I think, is that we have become such a private people that we don't like sharing these things. Well, I don't want to I don't want to weigh you down. You don't need to bear my burden. And, and so we tend to be people who bottle stuff up inside. And, and if we don't have a regular group of people or we don't make a regular practice of sharing things with one another, then, then when something really big comes up, it's, it's hard to let that out. And part of the reason it's hard to let out is because we don't think anybody else will understand or they haven't, they haven't been through that. That's one of the reasons. Um, but sometimes I think that we... We don't think people will understand us because when we do share, we get some cliche response. Um, we get advice. We get told things that are supposed to encourage us, but they really don't. And sometimes they just don't make any kind of sense to us at all. Let me, let me give you an example. Has anyone ever told you that God won't give you more than you can handle? Anybody ever told you that? Yeah, me too. Um, And if you've said that to someone, I'm not trying to pick on you. It's been part of Christianese, Christian talk for quite some time now, and so it's one of those cliches that we think provides some encouragement. Um, But personally, I think at its worst, I think it's It's one of the biggest lies you'll ever hear. And at best, it's a half-truth. Well, think about this. If you only had to face situations that you could handle on your own, you'd never have any problems, right? If you could handle everything that came your way then you really wouldn't need God to send you a Savior because you'd have it all covered. So when we say, well, God, He wouldn't pile on top of you anything more than you can handle, I'm not so sure that that's an accurate statement. I think this life is full of challenges that take us right up to the edge. You know why? Because it drives us to God because we can't handle it on our own. And so it forces us to kneel down at the foot of the cross and cry out to God, God, you're going to have to help me with this one. It drives us into the community of other loving believers who can become a support structure and system for us that we can bear one another's burdens and, and we can help each other get through because, you know what, none of us, none of us can get through this life, this Christian walk alone. We are never meant to. When we find ourselves at the foot of the cross, at the feet of our Savior Jesus, we can know and trust that that He faced what we faced. That's what our text told us, that He was one who was tempted, He suffered, He was rejected, He was despised, but He was also the one who was victorious over all of those things. He was victorious over death. So he is the only one. Jesus is the only one who can truly enter into all of the pain that you experience, that you face. He knows your heart. He knows your insecurity. He already knows what you're afraid of. So trust him with your feelings. Allow him to remove those blinders that you may be wearing that that create this tunnel vision that you're the only one who feels like you do. Because it's not true. We've all experienced these kinds of things, and Jesus has as well. And Paul writes to the church in Galatia, it's 
for freedom that Christ has set you free. That these things that keep us in the prison of our thoughts and our fears, Jesus has broken those, and we can live freely. All right, the third, third thing, I, third lie I think we believe is that God must not be really loving after all. I mean, when we're really down in the dumps, we can get to this place where, well, if God really loved me, this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening. If God really loved me, somehow, some way, I'd find encouragement and comfort, and He would send just the right person. The truth is that God loved us so much that He's already sent a person, His Son, Jesus. He loved the world so much that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would never perish, but would have eternal life. See, the truth is, and we come to it every Advent, and we rehearse it year over year, is that this person was born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, a quiet little town. It's the way God smuggled His love and grace into the world, maybe in a way that traveled among us and figured out what it was like to be a human, bore all of those burdens, felt what we felt, was tempted like we are tempted, so that when we come to the point where we need a Savior, we have one that we can trust to know exactly what we are feeling and that we can experience the love of God through Him. Jesus walked down the loneliest of roads while He was on earth, and because He endured that, you and I never have to walk down any road alone again. So when you find yourself on a lonely road, let it remind you to seek God. Let, let Him comfort you so that when someone else around you is struggling and in pain with um, feeling rejected and, and alone, that you can remind them to keep looking up. You can remind them that they are not alone and that, that you understand them and that you are willing to walk with them for a period of time, even if it's only for a few steps. You can be that person who provides that moment of encouragement. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus and point them to the hope that He's erased out of all of our fears. To be behind the fear of being rejected and being left alone in this world is, I think, really the fear of facing ourselves. And this fear of being alone, it can't be resolved by centering our lives on other people, on ourselves. We have to take that center like we've been talking, and we need to move our center to God. We need to learn to be with Him, to let Him tell us who we are. And when He tells us who we are, we need to learn how to like the person that He is shaping and forming. I wish that I could tell you that you'll never feel rejected. I, w I wish I could tell you that you'd never feel alone or lonely again in your life, but I guess in the end today, I'm, I'm simply reminding you that, that those are they're only feelings. They're, they're powerful feelings that haunt us sometimes, that, that shape our, our thinking, but they're feelings. They're not actual circumstances. Because God has triumphed over all of those, and the person of Jesus is the one who answers both our rejection and our aloneness, because He accepts you as you are. You can come to the cross exactly as you are. He accepts you just as you are. And I guarantee you, if you have an experience at the foot of the cross, you will leave different. And He promises to travel with you. So that's the answer to our loneliness, is knowing that He is with us. The hopes and fears of 
all the years are met in the child of Bethlehem. People of God said, amen, amen. Would you stand for prayer? Our worship team is going to come back and we'll sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I just thought, you know, as we come to the close here, if these weeks have been doing a work on your heart, um, maybe you need to come and pray. The altar is a wonderful place to do that, to, to bring something to the altar and, and pray about it and, and leave it there and trust that God would work on it with you. So if you feel like you need to pray, if, you, if you've never given your life to Christ and you've tried a whole bunch of other things and maybe, maybe they just don't seem to work, Maybe God's talking to you now and maybe you need to surrender your life to him. Whatever it might be, maybe it's you feel alone or you feel rejected. Come and pray about it. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. and You know, we're, we're taught, Lord, that we need to be strong. and courageous and unafraid and um, that anything that comes our way we just kind of need to suck it up and and then we then we run into scripture and it's totally different you kind of turn our world upside down Thank you for that. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, God, to open ourselves to, to others, to, to you, and to just be honest. And I just pray that in these moments that we would be totally honest with you, that we would bear our soul. And Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves already. And I think you're just waiting for us to speak it out loud. So we confess to you, Lord, that sometimes we're gripped by fears that, that hold us back. They keep us in prison. Sometimes we get to worrying about things and are so filled with anxiety that, that we lo lose our focus on you and, and we retreat from community with other people and Lord, I just pray you would touch us in that area of our brokenness, that you would heal us, that you would begin to help us see the community around us, of other people who struggle with the same kinds of things, and that you, in your providence, have brought us together in this time and at this place for these steps together, Lord, to be of comfort and encouragement to one another that as we travel towards Bethlehem in a couple weeks, that we are traveling closer and closer and closer to the hope that we'll find there, to the overwhelming joy that you smuggled into this earth through a baby. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. May we be beacons of hope having experienced your salvation and your cross and your healing, may we be that light and hope to other people as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.